The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Severe flooding in California is expected to cost more than $1 billion and leave long-term economic scars across the most populous U.S. state. Tune into my chat with Adam Smith, the lead scientist behind the U.S. government's billion-dollar weather and climate disasters project. Welcome to The Exchange, the podcast where Reuters Breaking Views columnists chat with people of interest to business and financial professionals around the world. I'm Ben Wink, the United States columnist at Reuters Breaking Views, and I'm coming to you from Washington, D.C. For this week's episode, I spoke with Adam Smith, an applied climatologist and disaster expert at the U.S. National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Smith is also the lead researcher for NOAA's Billion Dollar Weather and Climate Disasters Report, a project that's tallied the dollar damages of major climate disasters since 1980. The decades long trend Smith has tracked is stark. Climate change has made natural disasters more frequent, diverse, and damaging across the U.S. There were 18 disasters that cost at least $1 billion in 2022, compared to the eight disaster average seen since 1980. And the rest of the world is dealing with a similar trend. The U.S. is already on pace for another worse-than-usual year. Torrential rainfall along the California coast led to intense flooding and power outages across the state. Smith expects the event to be the first billion-dollar disaster of 2023. We discussed how the greater diversity of climate events leaves states more vulnerable, and where governments should spend more on risk prevention. We also address how climate change will probably make these events more frequent and even more destructive. Give it a listen. Thanks so much for being with us, Adam. I, I really appreciate you making the time, especially to chat about this when um, you know we are once again talking about a, a major climate disaster this time in California um, as the most recent example. But I guess to backtrack a bit, could you explain a bit what this billion-dollar research and climate disasters report is and how it came about? Hi, thank you. Yes, so this report takes the best public and private sector data um, that exists, and through partnerships over the decades, we try to quantify about 15 to 16 different asset classes Um and I'll go into that in a minute. But so this includes insurance and reinsurance partners, all the federal science and emergency disaster agencies like FEMA, NASA, um, you know, USDA, the National Interagency Fire Center, even partners like CDC, Census, um, uh, and, and of course programs within uh, these agencies like the FEMA National Flood Insurance Program or the USDA Crop uh, Insurance Program. Those are important. Also, U.S. Uh, Energy Information Administration, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, and state agencies. So from all of this information, we're analyzing impacts to hurricane, uh, to hazards such as hurricanes, uh, tornado, hail, and high wind derecho type events, um, drought and heat wave events, winter storm cold wave events, even crop freeze events. Um, of course, urban flooding or river basin flooding even the atmospheric rivers like we're seeing off California right now, and, and the wildfire seasons, which in the West, of course, have become more profound in recent years. In terms of what the data allows us to analyze, that data would be total direct losses, which we define as the insured, uninsured, and underinsured uh, assets, including damage to homes, businesses, government buildings like schools, all the contents of those structures, uh, damage to vehicles, boats, even offshore energy platforms in the Gulf of Mexico when hurricanes come through. Of course, it's important to look at things like uh, damage to public infrastructure, so roads, bridges, levee systems, electrical grids, which are public-private partnerships often, how those are managed. 
um, lost hydropower in the West, even damage to US military bases that are at risk from these hazards. Um, and agriculture is another asset class we look at. So that's either you know, many different types of crops, uh, increased feed costs from, from, to livestock like cattle when drought uh, impacts um, the feedstock price and damage to commercial forestry, also um, wildfire fighting suppression costs. So those are all the asset classes we generally capture, but it's equally important to note what we do not capture due to lack of consistent data over space and time. So the, the assets we cannot currently capture would be um, mental and physical health care related costs before, during, or after disaster. Um, the non-market losses, such as um, environmental degradation, and the supply chain ripple effects outside of a hazard region, those are not currently captured in our analysis. So this is a conservative baseline, but using the best available data. Gotcha. And so really to summarize, it seems as though you know, it's not just looking at what we're getting from the Federal Emergency Management Agency or FEMA, like you mentioned, but really just a holistic view from as many sources as, as you can get, which sort of brings me to what we, we mentioned at the start, which is the, the flooding that we're seeing in these storms in, in California. Those I think this started just about the beginning of January um, and, and seemed to be ongoing. Granted, it's, it seems to have leveled up or uh, eased up a bit. I saw you were quoted as saying this, this is very likely to be the first billion dollar climate disaster of 2023 in the U.S. What kind of led you to, to say that with confidence or, or what um, has really been the, the driving factor in, in ratcheting up those costs in California? Yeah, so California, of course, is going through what, uh, has been termed weather whiplash and, and is probably a shock to the system because really um, California and much of the West has been a mega drought since the year 2000. Um, and it's really been since the 90s when we've had this constant barrage of atmospheric rivers, you know, more than half a dozen in a row that have impacted uh, the state of California. And looking at those events just as analogs, uh, in, com in combination with the fact that California has grown so much in population exposure and vulnerability to, to you know, flooding hazards in particular, you know, it, it's not a far stretch at all to, to see this being in the billions of dollars for a damage. Um, and some of the asset classes I mentioned before <clears throat> are, of course, some of the things we'll be looking at, but it's still too early to know. But uh, I think that all those things combined would lead you to believe that this is a quite an impactful event for California. And when we we zoom out and look to the past, and you look at 2022 and and compare that to what we've seen in, in years prior, and then also you know, your your data goes back a few decades. What sort of trend have we seen with regard to the the costs of these climate disasters and the frequency of these climate disasters? Is it has it been a steady trend, or or is climate change really led to a, a major uptick in just how damaging these climate events have been. Yeah, so this uh, analysis starts in 1980 and goes through you know, 2022, and we update it each quarter every three months. And <clears throat> it's all inflation adjusted to present year dollars. Uh, so unfortunately, yes, in terms of the frequency, the diversity of extremes, and the cost of extremes, all of those are on the rise. And there are a number of reasons, of course, more exposure. We have more population and more uh, assets in harm's way. So the wildland urban interface or river floodplains or people like to live along the coast, which is high density uh, and exposure to hurricane impacts in particular. Um, so exposure, but vulnerability, where we build and how we build, you know, much of the country doesn't really have sufficient building codes uh, in relation to the extremes that they, they face on an annual basis. 
But of course, we can't leave out the, the fact that climate change is supercharging many of these different extremes um, that may uh, ultimately result in a billion dollars or more of damage. So it's a combination of exposure, vulnerability, and climate change that's really the trifecta of, of our challenge here. And yeah, these, these extremes, in particular since 2016, have really ramped up. Um, over the last seven years, from 2016 through 2022, the United States has had over 122 separate billion-dollar weather climate disasters, uh, killing over 5,000 people and causing over $1 trillion of damage. So we're talking big money here, real, real issues, and these extremes, we do learn some lessons from them, uh, for better or for worse, but it'd be wise to, for us to implement those lessons faster so you know, we can mitigate future costs because we know these extremes will continue to happen across many parts of the country, impacting lives and livelihoods. And you mentioned something that, that really stood out to me, especially when thinking about what's going on or what recently happened in California, um, is that diversity of extremes, right? California is, is known as kind of the earthquake state and the state where wildfires have been, have become almost, you know, an annual, uh, something you just have to deal with when you live in, in California, especially Southern California. But flooding is not one of those extremes or climate disasters that when you think of flooding, you think of, of uh, kind of the South or the East Coast of the United States, not necessarily California. So how does that, that widening diversity of extremes for a state like California dealing with an event that it's not used to, how, does, how is it that states are able to maybe prepare? Or do you see states preparing for, for this greater diversity of, of climate disasters, or is it just hitting them harder than uh, you know would otherwise yeah i think that maybe states and pretty much everyone's trying to play catch up with mother nature now because uh what we call in the scientific community compound disasters with cascading impacts so compound disasters are effectively different extremes that create impacts in a tight space-time frequency so for example in 2020 um and 2021 louisiana was hit by a barrage of hurricanes so while they were cleaning up and trying to recover from one hurricane, the next one would come through. So that increases the recovery cost and the recovery time to get back to a pre-normal baseline, if, if you even get there to begin with, um, for disaster recovery. And we saw it again this year, uh, or excuse me, 2022 with Florida. So Hurricane Ian came through from southwest to northeast, impacting much of Florida with you know high winds, storm surge, and heavy rain, inland flooding. And then just weeks later, Hurricane Nicole, which was a large but um, weaker system, impacted many uh, counties and many cities, you know, a sub substantial population that was still trying to begin their recovery from Hurricane Ian just weeks before. So, and then California is a great example, maybe the best example, because the, the, the mega drought since the year 2000 uh, has created longer wildfire seasons and Four out of the last six wildfire seasons, California has been, the costs have been an order of magnitude higher than any other year on record. Just, just a step function shift as far as the impact. And, um, and so then you get burn scars in the mountains, then you get these atmospheric rivers that come through. And so you, get, you can see how this compounding series of disasters and impacts really amplify one another. And that's an area of, of study in the literature and also more practically in the real world that we have to mitigate ourselves against. Mm -hmm. Now, looking beyond the initial damage estimates that you guys tally up, um, and that's like you mentioned, that's that's already a very broad 
set of data that you guys are, are kind of pulling together and, and looking at you know, what leads to this being a billion dollar or, or larger disaster. Um, beyond those figures, what kind of long-term economic scarring do these climate events have? You know, something like the flooding going that, that happened in California, or like you mentioned, a hurricane uh, rolling through Florida. I mean, how long does it typically take to to rebound from something like that? And and what kind of you know, longer term impact does that leave? You know, do areas fully recover, or is there there always some scarring left behind? Yeah, I think that generally there's there's always scarring left behind, and I think the the quickness and the effectiveness of a recovery, you know there's many factors that go into that potentially, you know, the, the, the size of the population and the economy, as far as the capacity to absorb um, additional labor, additional, uh, you know, redirecting costs into recovery as opposed to other type of industries. Um, and of course, the, the kind of the macroeconomic, the how well the economy was doing before the disaster also plays a, a factor. But yeah, if you look at smaller or even medium-sized um, communities, that don't have that capacity, you know, they are more at risk for not recovering uh, fully or even partially um, to the pre-disaster state because they just don't have the capacity, um, the same as a larger city might. And you can even see this, extend that idea out to the future where, you know, we see cities like Miami, Boston, um, I know Houston uh, with the Ike, Dyke as they call it, has been passed, the funding hasn't been, um, pointed to yet, but, uh, or even New York City, you know, large, a lot of these larger cities have the tax base and the revenue to plan multi-billion dollar infrastructure or mitigation spending into the future to, to prevent, prevent future damage. But, you know, there are the vast majority of many smaller um, populations or areas that, you know, just don't have that ability to do that. So, yeah, it, it the future may be, exacerbate the haves and the have-nots in terms of how um, how prepared a certain area is for, for different types of extremes on, on their exposure and their vulnerability to those extremes. And you mentioned public funding for, for risk prevention or just kind of padding against these climate disasters. And I want to ask you a little bit more about that later on, but I, I do want to touch on the, the U.S. insurance sector. Um, because that also obviously plays a major role in rebounding from these extreme climate events. But what, what have you seen as far as how the insurance sector has, has changed as we've seen these disasters grow more common, more diverse, and more damaging across the U.S.? Are they stepping up, or do you see some areas where they need to, to kind of ramp up their efforts and, and spending maybe to, to kind of pad against uh, the, these risks. Yeah, just from my perspective, and I'm not a, a pure expert on the insurance reinsurance industry, um, but I, I do closely follow the industry and how it how it has morphed over the years. And in general, it, it seems to you know, provide a, a series of products that are very useful and important for you know insuring homes and businesses and vehicles and, and other different assets to many different hazards. Um, but but what you do see is kind of back to what I said earlier with these compound hazards and tight uh, space-time frequencies that also have a, a large magnitude of impact, like these wildfires that happened in Paradise, California several years ago, or the multiple hurricanes and flood events that happened in Louisiana in recent years. That actually, you know, can draw, can and does bankrupt insurance uh, um, insurance companies 
uh, sometimes. And then, you know, that, that could um, make parts of the industry question how much they want to underwrite that future risk based on, you know, the recent risk that they've, that they've seen. And so then what you'll see is, you know, the states will step in with, with different uh, insurance, uh, uh, like wind pools, for example, but, but those often aren't quite as um, efficient for the, for the consumer as the private sector marketplace would be. So yeah, it's a balance between risk and exposure and vulnerability. And, and in certain parts of the country, it's a combination of maybe being a, a bit unlucky, also maybe being a little under underprepared. Um, so I think we all collectively have our risk cut out for us. And uh, I mean, we have our work cut out for us rather. And, um, you know, it's, it's an important partnership between what the private sector can offer um, in terms of insurance, but also what the public sector, what FEMA's National Flood Insurance Program that's undergone uh, quite a few changes in recent years to try to be more robust and um, try to, you know, to stay uh, ahead of the curve in terms of these uh, very impactful and costly flood events, whether it's from heavy rain or from a hurricane uh, that have really uh, challenged the uh, NFIP in recent uh, decades. Now, looking beyond the U.S., um, and obviously, I, I should say, you know, the U.S. Is, is your primary area of focus, but is the U.S. alone in dealing with this ramp up in, in more damaging climate events and, and more frequent climate events? Or is this something that we're seeing around the world and you know, not just the, the frequency of these disasters, but also is the, is the rest of the world also seeing the overall damage from these disasters also increasing? Yes, every year we see many regions of the world that battles many of the same extremes that we face in the United States, whether it's, you know, the drought or wildfires in, in places like Spain or parts of Europe or heat waves. Uh, even even Europe right now is having a pretty warm winter, uh, which is which is good given the energy uh, challenges of the moment. Um, or places like Australia, um, drought, wildfire, heat there. But of course, we can't forget, you know, in 2022, one of the major disasters of the world was the, the flooding in Pakistan and, you know, affecting tens of millions of people. And so, and so you know, these extremes, um, you know, they, they, they affect many parts of the world and there is a wide diversity. Uh, of course, hurricanes or well, tropical cyclones, as much as the world calls them, you know, big, big impact in Southeast Asia, Japan, other places. And so, so the United States has the highest frequency and highest diversity of these billion dollar disasters because we have the highest exposure vulnerability and the influence of climate uh, in, in many of these disasters as we see around the world but other parts of the world of course uh it's it's just as challenging because they don't have as much damage that can be quantified uh materially but the loss of life and livelihoods is an order of magnitude or two beyond what we have here in the united states so it's an equally, if not even a larger challenge in uh, second and third world type countries from trying to um, mitigate uh, and manage these different extremes and then to recover from them. Mm -hmm. And so when we see a disaster hit, you look at what happens in California and, and you see California Governor Gavin Newsom come out and say, we've secured hundreds of millions of dollars in, in funding now for kind of bolstering our flood protection. Um, it seems that a lot of the funding to to shore up those defenses, right, and to prevent 
the risk of this happening again happens after the fact. And that's just, I mean, it's, it's fairly human, right? You know, we, we, our hindsight is 2020. And once we've gone through something like that, you don't want to go through something like that again. How would you convince policymakers to, to change their thinking around this? I mean, what, what do you think is the biggest shortcoming as far as how the government appropriates funds to protecting communities, economies, uh, you know, households from these disasters as they get more common and more damaging? Yeah, I think that is not only a government issue, it's really a human issue because I think we all just naturally are inclined to, we can easily look look backwards and learn from mistakes or as you said, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. that's more intuitive and more concrete. When we get beyond our, our near-term future, looking well down the road, it's a, a bit maybe out of sight, out of mind, or just too uh, abstract to, um, to 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 actively work on as much as we probably should. So, yeah, it, it's it's a collective problem, and I'd say the silver lining for the last you know seven plus years at least is most of the country has seen so many different types of extremes, many of them very impactful that there are many, many different lessons to be learned. And, and the United States government and the agencies and academia and the private sector are all collectively learning these lessons and, and uh, fits and starts. And so it's a matter of applying them and then understanding um, kind of, you know, do a cost benefit analysis and understanding which um, I guess triaging the funding because there's not unlimited resource. I'll give you one, a good example. So. Uh, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers has spent the last, you know, decade plus post Katrina, Hurricane Katrina in 2005, designing and building the pump and levee system around uh, the city of New Orleans. And I think that was a $14.5 billion uh, project in, in today's dollars. But that project, from what I uh, read and spoke with people about, was quite successful in defending New Orleans from Hurricane Ida back in 2021 which was you know, still a, a major hurricane, moving slowly, high wind, heavy rainfall, storm surge. I'm, what I'm trying to say is I think that that, that uh, pump and levee system around New Orleans probably paid for itself in one storm. And so everything else in the future is almost just uh, icing on the cake. And so there, you know, there are other places around uh, the United States that, that can and, and should do similar things. And we're already seeing some other positive uh, steps, like, for example, the wildfires in California in, in many recent years, uh, you know, there's, you know, funding and discussion about moving uh, electrical infrastructure underground. Granted, it is very costly up front, but what we've seen in many recent years with just the impactfulness of wildfires is it'll eventually pay for itself. So it's just a matter of structuring how to how to um, set up such funding. And then even in New Orleans, or excuse me, in southern Louisiana, they had to rebuild their energy grid after 2020 and 2021 hurricane impacts, just like what Florida's done there, of course, using stronger materials and better designs to, to design for the future, just don't design for the present. Interesting. So the precedent makes it seem as though the, the investment case for these infrastructure projects is, is fairly robust, right? Especially when you mentioned, you know, for something as expensive as that pumpy, pump and levee system in New Orleans paying for itself in one storm. Um, and you know, now the data showing that we've only had climate disasters become more intense and more common since that 2005 hurricane. Um, 
you know, it just, it just kind of makes sense, right? Beyond infrastructure, though, are there, are there any other areas um, that policymakers can really focus on that, that you see paying dividends down the road as far as protecting uh, you know, these communities from, from damage? Uh, you know, yes, infrastructure can help, but it, it's not going to kind of defend against the entirety of the disaster, right? Yeah, um, let me think. Uh, I mean, you know, trying to mitigate yourself from any future hazard or disaster impact, you know, starts, of course, at the local level, ideally, and then it kind of can scale upward to the to the county, to the state and to the federal level as needed. And most people are pretty resilient and resourceful, but, you know, people and businesses, they're, they're busy with their day to day uh, lives and, you know, just just the typical um, you know, grind of, of life. And so tr trying to think about the future and implementing um, you know, funding or designs or plans or best practices, you know, is is not easy. And it does take focused effort and demand, sustained effort. So, you know, it's, it's really, I think, a, a team objective to <laughs> try to, um, you know, highlight regions where hazards have been particularly impactful and where science uh, expects those hazards to be continued in terms of uh, uh, impact. So, you know, sea level rise, having spent, uh, spoken about that, you know, that's going to challenge tax bases along different parts of the country as, uh, you know, coastal flooding, you know, sunny day, high tide flooding becomes an increasing problem. And there's some, some research out there uh, and it's not all bad news, but we definitely have our work cut out for us. So again, I circle back to just the diversity of the extremes that the United States has been impacted by and has experienced in recent years really is kind of a textbook for the future to understand how and where and why we should invest uh, public and private sector efforts and dollars to uh, better mitigate ourselves. Because yes, it, it's the, the math at the end of the day is relatively simple. It will pay for itself. It's just a matter of trying to get to that point. Gotcha. Thank you so much for, for taking the time and, and joining us today. It's, uh, it's really great to, to chat with you and, and to really glean you know, a lot of really valuable lessons when it comes to uh, something that I'm sure is only going to be more and more relevant as, as climate change continues to bring these disasters to the U.S. and, and to you know, all, kind, all sorts of countries around the world. Thank you. Thanks so much for your time, Adam. Thank you for tuning in. This podcast was produced by Thomas Shum in Hong Kong. You can find more episodes of The Exchange on Megaphone or your favorite podcast app. Also check out our sister podcast, The Views Room, and look us up on breakingviews.com and on Twitter, where our handle is at breakingviews.